This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Blake Barrett will join me here in just a little bit. He's an agent based locally here in Minneapolis, represents a lot of different NFL players, a lot of Vikings, including Adam Thielen. He also represents Rashad Bateman, who is expected to be drafted pretty high in this weekend's uh, draft, maybe as high as uh, the first round on Thursday. Um, certainly by Friday when the second and third round happens. So Blake will kind of get us through the uh, the process of what Rashad can expect uh, that night, what an agent really does, and uh, some other interesting discussion points we got into. So really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope you do too. But first, what did I miss? Everybody, help me understand what is going on here. Rocco Baldelli, before um, Tuesday's game, said, Alexander Colomay is going to get used in different situations, going to get uh, maybe work a little earlier in the game, um, in some lower leverage situations after the really tough start to the season. Um, (laughs) That's an understatement. I think Aaron Gleeman tweeted that uh, he's had the lowest, uh, the worst win probability added of any new pitcher on any team in the history of baseball. Um, Relief pitcher, I think his win probability added is over minus two now, which is just unbelievable so pitching terribly right gives up the game-winning home run monday rocco says you know tuesday they're they're gonna you know we gotta we we still have confidence in we gotta work on some stuff i get it that's fine you're invested in him okay he's got a track record let's try to figure this out so what happens tuesday night um you know hours after rocco baldelli says that they bring colome into a 5-4 game Twins are down one run. They've just pulled within one, a 5-4 game in the eighth inning against Cleveland, one of your biggest division rivals. Now, technically, this is a lower leverage situation, right? Leverage is, you know, kind of one of those things that's got a specific definition, so it's a mathematical definition. It was developed, you know, maybe 15 years ago. Baseball Prospectus defines it as the change in probability of winning the game from scoring or allowing one additional run in the current game situation divided by the change in probability from scoring or allowing one run at the start of the game. Got that? So, you know, basically when you're down even when you're down a run with only one inning left, the chance that you're going to win probably is not great to begin with, right? You're going to have to score at least one run, which is a, a low a lower probability event, especially if you have the Twins lineup. That, that that I don't think that that matters, but okay. So, if you're down one run, it's a lower leverage situation than, you know, start of the game when it's 0-0. A higher leverage would be Colomay's coming in to protect a one-run lead or Colomay's coming into a tie game. So, yes, technically, here is what I don't get. This is not the situation I imagined in my mind that he would come into to work out the Kings. I thought I'm thinking I'm thinking in my head it's going to be like a seven to two game in two or three days. You know, the Twins are either going to be up or behind, and they're going to try to get him an inning of work and work on some stuff, try to get his confidence back. It was certainly not the very next night in a one-run game. And what happens? He's wild. He's ineffective. They end up giving up two runs in that inning. You know, one of them he forces in with a walk. The other one comes in when Jorge Alcala comes in and, uh, and and hits a batter. So next thing you know, it's 7-4. That's your final. Um, any chance they had of winning that game realistically went down the drain that inning. And any chance of you know turning this skid around, which is now 7-15, and everybody, 7-15, and which has included 13 losses in their last 15 games. Uh, any of that went down the drain really with his performance, but almost with the minute Colome came into this game. So I just, I don't know what to say. It it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's, it's a baffling situation. If now, 
if it's a question of poor roster construction and Rocco Baldelli doesn't think he has any other good viable options once he's used a few other guys in the bullpen and Kenta Maeda has not given him a great start again, well, then that's a failure of roster construction. And the problem with that is it's still April. What are you going to do about that? Nobody's going to trade relief pitching in April, not anybody meaningful anyway. So you're either going to be looking at the bargain bin, trying to pull up someone from the minors, or hoping that the the team you left you know, Florida with three, four weeks ago will turn this around. I don't like any of those options right now, and uh, I, I didn't like the option last night to use Colome in the eighth inning. Enjoy your money your way when you switch to Royal Credit Union. You can pay friends and family for free, deposit checks on the go, and even get alerts about your accounts sent in real time. Stop in and open your account today or get started at rcu.org slash your way. Insured by NCUA. The Timberwolves won again, you guys. Three wins in a row. The first two over Utah. This one in Houston, um, a team that is uh, full-on tank mode. But the Wolves win 114-107. Here's two reasons why that's important. One is their third win in a row. They hadn't done that all year. Um, so so there's that. That means they're now 19-44 and on the season, which means they are 12-15 and since the All-Star breaking. And 12-15, and nothing to brag about, but that is certainly better than the pace they were on at the uh, start of the year when they were 7-29. and Improvement for sure. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Nine and six, uh, with Towns and uh, with Conley Towns and D'Angelo Russell both playing this season. So some some signs of improvement there um, that are that are hard to hard to miss when you when you look at them on the court and when you see the results. But bigger picture than that, they've moved into the third worst record now in the NBA. They passed. Houston a while ago. Now they got four more wins than Houston. I think they're, it's safe to say they're going to pass. They're going to finish ahead of Houston. Now Orlando, they're ahead of Orlando too, and they're closing pretty quickly on Detroit. Oklahoma City also won last night. Shocker! They beat Boston. Uh, did not see that one coming. But uh, so let's. In terms of the lottery odds now, what what this means is let's say the Wolves finish with the third, fourth, even fifth worst record in the NBA. They're 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 treading into the territory now where they could decrease their odds of keeping their pick by a little bit. Remember, they've got that trade with Golden State where they give up the pick if it's not in the top three. But still in this number three spot they're in right now, the odds of them keeping the pick are the same as they were uh, before when they were first, when they were worst or second worst. It's still 40.1%. What you're doing now, though, is you're decreasing the odds that it, the pick is going to be really good if it goes to Golden State. The more likely pick now, if it goes to Golden State, is the sixth pick. Let's say they move into the the fourth spot uh, in in the in the lottery order. Then the, then it becomes the most likely likely pick is like sixth or seventh. So that doesn't matter a ton if you are a Wolves fan, but I do feel like part of what's driving this angst with Wolves fans is that this pick they're going to give up is really, really good. Like when they were in the when they were the worst team in the league, it was going to be the fourth or fifth pick that they had to give up. One of those two is you're talking about a top five pick. If it ends up being like the seventh pick, even if they don't keep it, I feel like the sting of that and the perception of that, like you're going to have to give this pick up one way or the other, whether it's this year or next year. The sting of it being a seventh, the seventh pick this year instead of fourth or fifth feels like there's a perception difference with that potentially. And the other important thing, the Timberwolves no longer have the worst record in North American professional sports history. Winning percentage now, 393-46. They passed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are 393-21. This could be jockeying back and forth. This could be their record again once Tampa Bay plays again this season and uh, goes 11-4. and 
six or whatever they're going to go. But for right now, the Wolves are no longer the worst. We made a big deal about it when they became the worst earlier this season. So we need to make a big deal about it now when they have passed Tampa Bay, at least temporarily. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined today by Blake Barrett's Institute for Athletes founder. Um, agent, I guess, is the simpler title, but um, I like founder of Institute for Athletes better. It's local. He represents a lot of uh, a lot of good guys locally, including Adam Thielen from the Vikings. And I believe uh, you got Rashad Bateman now, right? Yep. You got a bunch of Vikings and Rashad's one of our rookies. See if he winds up in uh, green and gold. Some rumors to that effect. I don't know if that would uh, how that would play here, but uh, haven't had to haven't had to deal with that too much. So we'll see. I'd make Rashad happy because I probably would be the first round. But anyway, I've got yeah. Blake. I've got Blake on because, you know, I feel like, you know, draft week, there's a lot going on and. I think people don't necessarily understand exactly the role of an agent all the time or kind of, you know, what, what goes into this whole process of the lead up to the draft and, you know, the week of the draft, things like that. So, you know, from an overview standpoint, like how, how have you been able to, how, how do you like get guys ready for this, for this process? Like what's, what's the process from, you know, in a normal year and even this year, like to, you know, from, from January, February on, like what, what's the process that you are doing to help these guys kind of get to the finish line and get drafted and and get onto these teams? It's a long, arduous process. I think, you know, to the, to the naked eye, everyone focuses on the draft uh, because that's what everyone talks about. And that's the, uh, the drama reality show that everyone lives in. But for us, we're really, especially for a rookie with the day a rookie signs, whether that's December, January, uh, it's a very individualized program to help them in a lot of different facets of their life. So the combine and the physical workouts are one portion of it. The marketing endorsements are another portion of it. How they want their brand to look is a different portion of it. Uh, making sure they understand finance is a, is a different portion of it. What they're going to do in the off season program is a different portion of it. Getting the information from all 32 teams and, and really understanding what they want to see and then putting a plan in place to improve upon those areas is a portion of it. And, you know, we're trying to prepare him to get drafted as high as possible, possible, but we're also, you know, trying to put a cohesive plan in place that allows him to become the best NFL player possible and the best teammate possible and the best at whatever he's doing possible. So the draft is obviously the most talked about aspect, but, but a lot of our work isn't necessarily done on Thursday or Friday and a lot of it wasn't even scheduled to be done Thursday or Friday. This is stuff that may take place, you know, whether he does a football camp with Tyler Johnson this summer or all sorts of things that no one really sees that we're working on, which frankly takes, you know, the majority of the time. Uh, because once we get him into the proper nutritional program, strength and conditioning program with the right receivers, coaches, other pros that can teach him the nuances of the game, then it's getting him into that program. And his responsibilities are, you know, get there on time, work as hard as you can. Um, if something comes up, communicate. Um, but it's just, it's all the moving pieces simultaneously. And then when you throw in COVID, you're doing everything virtually. There is no senior bowl for the seniors there. Well, this year there was, but there were no other all-star games. There was no combine. There were no visits, all the rules changed. So um, now like, whereas if a guy went to the combine, a lot of the stuff that would be done there 
uh, would, would occupy 32 teams wishes. Now you're doing stuff via zoom and you're scheduling additional medical appointments and physicals and flights and, um, logistically it was tougher this year, but you know, for us, we're, it's such a, I, I don't know if it's just us or other agencies, but we're, it's for us, it's a very comprehensive approach and a holistic approach that like, we're not solely focused on a 40 yard dash or solely focused on the draft because at the end of the day, like this may sound stupid, but um, I can kind of take the emotion out of it and, and see the forest through the trees, so to speak. The draft doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Like I can tell you how the draft went. If you asked me in four or five years, did the guys continue to perform? Did they go to good situations? Did they excel? Um, I can't, you know, a lot of people think an agent's job is to sell, 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 sell. Like I can't control how many receivers are in this draft. I can't control team needs. I can't control where those team needs and those guys draft. And a lot of those things are going to affect where guys get drafted, not necessarily how good of a football player they are today, or they project into the future. And it's, it's easier for me to understand that having been through this a million times than it is for a 19, 20, 21, 22 year old to understand because that's all that's getting talked about. That said, I want to get into some big picture stuff and kind of how you got into this business. But first, you know, because you do have, you know, Rashad Bateman this year, someone of, you know, immense local interest. I mean, all, all of what you said, you know, aside, this is draft week. What will Thursday, potentially Friday, and even into the weekend of, you know, kind of these first few days after you get drafted, what will that be like for him? What is that, what is that scene like? Is he ready for that? How, how have you, how, how does that play out? I mean, I, will he be ready? You know, who knows? I, I've done my, uh, I've had my heart to hearts and I've just said, listen, you've worked as hard as you possibly can. And like, uh, regardless of what I tell you, Thursday is going to be an extremely long day. So just know that like everyone that you're inviting over to your house or wherever you're going to be, uh, everyone is going to be there for you and everyone's going to be looking at you and, you know, whether you want to show up after the first 10 picks, whether you want to show up after you've been drafted or you want to show up the entire day, just know it's going to be a really, really long day. Like you could be drafted 20th in the NFL draft and you could be sitting there for five hours already. So um, it's easier for me to say that because I've been through it so many times. I'm just, you know, telling him one, wherever you get drafted Thursday or Friday, it's one hell of an accomplishment in your life. And under no circumstance should it turn into any sort of disappointment. Like you've reached, you know, one of your major goals. Uh, it's going to be rewarding on a lot of levels. And whether you deserve to be 20th and you went 28th or you went, you know, 45th and deserve to go 25th, like it's still one hell of an accomplishment and nothing should detract from that. So as much, again, it's easier for me to say than, than it is for him to do, uh, but I'm just trying to educate him and his family and the people around him because it's a long day anyway, slice. And if you don't go Thursday, you're sitting there for 24 hours till Friday night. And it's a really, really long day again. Uh, even if you're the first guy off the board on Friday, it's still a really long day. Uh, and that's just the nerves and the excitement and the anxiety uh, it's just a lot for any person to handle. Uh, and, and when you're drafted, like it's going to be a huge weight off your shoulders. And then you're actually going to be able to relax and enjoy the moment and share it with your friends and family. And that moment always comes. It's just the moments leading up to that that are really hard to deal with because you just don't know. Like outside of maybe Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, no one really knows where they're going to go. And it's going to be a long day for the third pick 
and the fourth pick and the fifth pick. And those guys are coming off the board really early. Uh, so I'm just trying to get all of them to keep it in perspective. Like no one, no one cares today that Michael Thomas went second round or that DK Metcalf went second round or that Laquan Treadwell went first round. Like it doesn't matter. Like it matters in that moment, but you're doing this to set yourself up for financial security and, and be happy in your life and achieve a dream. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter whether Adam Thielen went undrafted or Laquan Treadwell went first round. Like, you know, it's, it's a starting point. Um, and, and you want to continue to get better so that you have the opportunity to stay in the NFL for four years and eight years and 12 years. Because if you do that, then you're going to have the opportunity to set your family up and your kids, kids and your kids, kids, kids uh, to have financial prosperity forever, which allows you the freedom to do what you want to do. And wherever you get drafted is not going to define what happens the rest of your life. So again, a lot easier for me to say than for everyone. I can assure you I'll show up Thursday and no one will be calm and everyone will be tense and they'll be sitting <laughs> on their phones, but it won't, you know, it won't, it won't change the messaging. And uh, I, I hate the draft every year for those reasons, because uh, it's hard to manage expectations and it's hard, you know, I'm not the one actually going through it. So you know, I do the, I do the best I can with my different experiences. And to me, the draft is like, it's really just a starting point. It doesn't define anything. And of course, everyone wants to hear their name called as high as possible because there's financial incentive and there's pride involved, but, but these teams have egos too. And these teams make mistakes too. And it's an inexact science. And uh, there's a lot of over analysis and um, you know, my, my job through the weekend is to tie up any loose ends and communicate appropriately. And I firmly do believe he's one of the best, if not the best receiver in the class, I'm biased, but I can't make decisions for 32 teams. So it really doesn't matter what I think or what Rashad thinks or what his mom thinks or what coach <laughs> Fleck thinks. Cause none of us have the ability to draft them anyway. <laughs> so, right. You know, you brought up Adam Thielen a minute ago. That was, you know, one of your, he became one of your, you know, biggest, earliest, you know, earliest, biggest clients, you know, just because of his ascendance and you going from undrafted to, you know, now being one of the best receivers in the NFL, just curious, you know, as you started IFA and we're, we're growing that, like, how do you even get into this industry? How do you decide this is what you want to do and that, that you want to, this is, you know, the path you want to take? You know what? I, I kind of stumbled into it a little bit. I, um, I went to the university of Wisconsin in Madison. I was on a tennis scholarship there. And I, uh, you know, when you're, when you're playing a sport, at least 20 years ago, uh, we all kind of shared the same facilities. You're in there working out with the guys and you're sharing, you know, cafeterias with the guys. And I ended up becoming good friends with guys at all the sports, but I was really close with some of the guys on the football team and, and stayed in touch with them over the years. And, and I had an opportunity in my early twenties to go work at a, a, at the time it was a startup agency, and uh, I didn't really know what an agent did. So I called a lot of those guys and said, what does your agent do? And do you like them? Do you not like them? What are the expectations? And uh, these guys were good guys, guys like Chris Chambers and Lee Evans and uh, Brooks Bollinger and, and guys that um, were in the league, first round picks, second round picks, fifth round picks, um, intelligent guys, low maintenance guys. And, and the, the common sentiment just come, kind of kept coming back to me like, you know, I don't really know what they do. They don't help me with that much. Like I talk to them a couple of times a year. I write them a big check. Um, and kind of a light went off in my head at that time that they're just like, 
there was something missing and I felt that there was a better, better way to operate this business. And I felt that their platform was much bigger and wasn't getting utilized properly. And, and these guys were with, you know, quote unquote, the biggest and best agents in the business. So, you know, at that time, I felt like there was an opportunity to come in and do things better. Um, I didn't have any basis to think that other than what I saw and heard, but I knew that I had to go in and learn the business. So I spent a lot of time just, you know, when I decided to take the leap of faith, I was 23 years old or 24 years old and took a job, you know, worked a million hours, made no money. And, uh, and I just was a sponge. It's all I, all I did was work for two or three years and like learn the salary cap and the CBA and, and asked as many questions as possible, probably to the point of annoying everyone I worked with, uh, just to, just to figure out what I was missing. Um, cause I knew if I learned the business, you know, the honesty, working hard, transparency, relatability, communication, like those things kind of came natural to me anyway. So I felt like if I, if I could add a value proposition to their lives, then, uh, then there was something there. Uh, so I did that for a while. Then I had an opportunity to go work at a big shop in Los Angeles. And I went there and that's really where I got my feet wet. You know, we had first round picks every year. We had hall of famers, um, I was able to continue to be a sponge and be involved in conversations and go to the combine. And, you know, I wasn't afraid of introducing myself to anyone and anyone and trading business cards and, and just learned. Um, and then I learned a lot of good things and I learned a lot of bad things, you know, about the business and what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And my thesis at the time was just like, I wanted to work with good guys, guys that got it, guys that were mature, guys that respected us, guys that viewed this more as like a partnership than, then I work for you or you work for me. Um, and that wasn't always the case with the people I worked with. It was, you know, it didn't really matter if they were high character, low character, high, great work ethic, bad work ethic. If they felt that there was going to be a return on investment, then, uh, then that was their, that was their bottom line and vetting process where mine was a little different. But again, I didn't really have any proof because I hadn't been in the business very long. And as I, you know, as I continued to kind of prove that, or prove that my, my thought process was correct, then that gave me the confidence that I could go out and do it on my own. And so I, uh, after the 2009 draft, I jumped out and left the firm I was with and started IFA. And I moved back here and I, anyone that I knew in the business that I had a, some level of relationship for, respect for, I, I bounced ideas off of, whether it was Jeff Diamond, who used to run the Vikings or right. the Titans or any of the players I used to know. And um, I don't know, I was 28. So I don't know if I was ignorant, naive, dumb, uh, aggressive, probably all of them. Um, and I just felt like, you know, I don't know, worst, worst comes to worst. I'll go do something else or worst comes to worst. I'll figure it out. And, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still difficult, but I feel like we've, we've kind of proven it over and over again. And now it's, we get a lot of referrals and we have a great staff and, and I know we're making a difference and, we're probably doing way too much for these guys, but that's what we signed up for. It's been, and it's been fun. Every day is, every day is a little different. Interesting. I, I enjoyed that answer. Last thing for you, Blake, um, just thinking about 2021, we, we've seen a lot of, I don't know where to begin with the last year, but you know, a lot of athletes using their platforms for social justice change, you know, racial, racial equality. We've seen players be more you know vocal and getting together and saying we don't want to you know these off-season programs you know for safety reasons for you know for you know, whether it's covid whether it's protecting their bodies and you know 17 games now um 
do you sense that players are different now than they were 15 years ago? Do you, is there a shift in the power dynamic, I guess, in, in, in what players want and what they're able to achieve in that regard? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely see a difference in players. Um, I see a lot of difference, some positive, some negative. Um, I think that players today, um, you know, probably with, with social media, they have access to more information. They have access to more people. Um, they communicate like the top hundred players in the country are communicating on a group chat and they're texting each other. Like they're communicating, they're talking to one another, they're empowering one another. I think it also helps you have guys like LeBron James out there that's leading the charge and Chris Paul. And like, they have someone that they can look to that's really doing that. Um, I also think like historically, especially in, in football and probably basketball to some extent too, like it's always been kind of a good old boys club and it's been a dictatorship and you're in my program, you do what I say. And, and they've really never had to change that. And I think, you know, of recent, whether that's three years, five years, two years, whatever it is, think they've all had to take a step back to say you know what this is different I got to communicate with my team differently and I actually have to care what they think and I got to care how they feel um you know has it does it go overboard sometimes sure but I've always from my standpoint I've always felt like a lot of these college programs teach these you know treat these guys like like they're teenagers like they're kids like they're like I treat my five-year-old and I think they're more they deserve more um, even at the NFL level, just because they work for you uh, doesn't mean you need to treat them like children. And I think if there was better communication and they sat down with these people, instead of looking at them as a, what can they do for them and looked at them as a true partner or employee, like they should, um, instead of a $1,500 a month scholarship check that can go perform on Saturdays, then there wouldn't have to be such a drastic change. I think it would become more, more natural. So uh, I do think there's a big change. I also think that guys are, are walking in with a little more, uh, they've maybe been put on the pedestal a little too early, too long, whether it's AAU ball or seven on seven or these college announcements. I just think like they're coming in, like they know everything uh, and they've seen everything, uh, which also gives a, a false sense of, of information. So uh, I, I think there's good and bad. I think information generally speaking is better. Uh, but I think putting some of these 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds on a pedestal, like they can't do any wrong. And then they get to college and they have a little adversity because they can't get on the court or they can't get on the field or they don't like the playing time or they don't like what the coach says. I think there's a little softness to them too, that I think there's probably a happy medium in there that, that the good communicators and the good coaches will, will get out. And then you have to deal with them too. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, is there I'm, not, what, I'm too much of a straight shooter though, so I don't mesh well no. with, with the guy that needs to be coddled because I'll get fired in two seconds. <laughs> is there going to be much of an off-season program this year? I've seen a lot of teams, including the Vikings players, are saying, you know, this is this is how we want to do it. We we you know we we kind of liked it last year when there wasn't much going on. Well, it's a tricky question because the off-season program really was the same as it always has been. It's always been voluntary. Now, yeah, wink, wink, wink. Right? I mean, right. Well, there's still no agreement in place between the owners and the players association. So as of today, every team is still going forward with it with how they deem they should go forward with it. There's phase one, which is really just workouts. You're going in to work out with the strength coach for an hour a day and you're doing your meetings virtually. And that goes to like May, you know, early May. 
And then starting May 16th, May 17th, somewhere in there, you go to phase two, which you're actually allowed to get on the field a little bit uh, and install and get with the coaches, which, you know, there is some value to that depending on the situation. Like, you know, does Eric Hendricks or Adam Thielen or, you know, Daniil Hunter really need to show up May 17th for on the field work. If they weren't getting paid in workout bonuses, probably not. These guys are veterans. You know, they're going to be taking care of their bodies. You know, they're in shape. They may already know the offense or defense, uh, but for rookies or second year guys or guys that finished the year on the practice squad, I think it is important that they get on the field. Um, some coaches may hold it against players for not showing up. Other coaches may not, but you know, I've, I've told all of our guys, you know, you got to do what's in your best interest because there's 90 guys on the roster right now and they're going to keep 53 come September. And you don't have the luxury at this stage of your career to look out for 2000 other players. That's just not your job. So do I think some of it is antiquated and not necessary? Yes. But you already knew this was going to be the case and in place last March when you guys agreed to a CBA. So do I, do I also think players that have families elsewhere need to fly in to stay in a hotel, to work out for an hour with the strength coach? No, I think that's ridiculous too. So I think the Vikings came up with, with something reasonable to say, hey guys, we're not going to dock you for not showing up the first month. As long as you participate in the meetings virtually, we do want you here for phase two, even though it's still optional. I think that was smart. And I think that was kind of the happy medium. Why it had to come down to the day they were actually supposed to report, I'm not sure, but we had a year to figure this out. But again, I'm not the one making the decisions. Sometimes you just need a deadline, Blake. Sometimes, Sometimes. you just need a deadline. Correct. Well, the deadline for the draft is here Thursday night. Um, hope you have a, an enjoyable as possible weekend. I really enjoyed chatting with you here on Daily Delivery. And uh, let's, let's keep in touch down the road, all right? Thanks, Mike. Anytime. Thanks for right, having take, me. Take care. Let's end things really quickly today with the cooler. Ben Gessling, really smart stuff in today's Star Tribune, startribune.com. Uh, Vikings full seven-round mock draft, including needs and everything like that, really detailed through some trades in there. And luck would have it, Ben Gessling will be on Thursday's show to help you get ready for the draft, which starts Thursday night. So look forward to that. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, and we will see you again on Thursday.